0: This is the story of how a death in the Midlands town of Telford five years ago led to a highly unusual decision.
1: This verdict, Justin, this has been a a long-running investigation. This has culminated uh, in the conviction for manslaughter of a serving uh, West Mercia police officer, PC Benjamin Monk.
0: Last month, Monk became the first police officer to be convicted for killing a person in the line of duty in over 30 years.
1: It raises really serious issues about police use of force and the use of taser in particular.
0: As well as how police de-escalate hugely difficult situations, particularly in cases of those of us with mental health issues. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, police and tasers, the death of Dalian Atkinson. Before we begin, a warning. Today's episode contains descriptions of violence involved in a man's death, which some listeners may find distressing. Ask football fans of a certain age about Dalian Atkinson and they'll recall a player of amazing talent who illuminated the game back in the 90s. As the former Liverpool player Alan Hansen put it on Match of the Day one evening... He's got it all. He's got England potential too, hasn't he? He can be
1: whatever he wants to be. Mm -hmm. He's just got to go and do it.
0: In the Premier League's inaugural season in 1993, Atkinson's mazy run from the halfway line, beating several defenders and culminating in a delicate chip over the keeper, won him the award for goal of the season. Atkinson, chance to see his skill and pace. Saunders outside him, Atkinson going through on his own. Saunders to his right, tries a chip... And that's a superb individual goal by Dalian Atkinson. That's a goal fit to win any match, and he salutes the crowd... as well. It was glorious, I've never forgotten it.
1: Skill of the highest order by Dalian Atkinson... Who that's the most six enduring six image, and he's best known for his time at Villa. Time's
0: crime and security editor Fiona Hamilton... Tells us what happened next.
1: He had a playing career that took in five countries. He played for England B. He was part of the team that won the League Cup in 1994. And he broke ground, really. Later, after his career in England, when he moved to Real Sociedad, a historically very conservative Spanish team, and they'd just removed their policy of only using players from the Basque region. And he was their first black player, so he became very well known for that.
0: In 2001, at the age of 33, Atkinson retired from football.
1: He set up a football agent's business that was called Players Come First. The business was dissolved in 2015 with liabilities of more than £80,000 and his mental health really declined and unfortunately he had quite serious health problems as well. He he suffered heart and kidney disease, high blood pressure, a, a multitude of issues.
0: So a great career had become... A situation in which he was having financial troubles and in which he was also mentally troubled and suffered poor physical health.
1: That's right. And his mental health had declined to the point that in the days before he was killed by a police officer, he had premonitions that the police were going to kill him. He also talked about being killed by the NHS. So there was stuff going on in his life. It was a difficult time for him.
0: On the night of August the 15th, 2016, police were called to Atkinson's father's house in Telford, in the West Midlands. Atkinson was in the middle of a mental health crisis.
1: He'd been calm that day. He'd been with his girlfriend and he was planning to go for his dialysis treatment for his kidney condition the next day at a hospital in Cheshire. But the criminal case later heard he was convinced he was going to die. He was talking about the NHS and the police and these premonitions that they were going to kill him. He he was calling himself the Messiah. And as the evening wore on, he insisted on going to his father's house in Telford in Shropshire. He'd bought that property for his father years earlier. Now, he turned up and he, he told his father, Ernest, that he loved him. But it was a chaotic situation and his situation deteriorated. He grabbed his dad by the throat and he was banging on the front door. And it was at that point that the neighbours called the police. I'm I'm not sure um, what's actually happening, but um, I've just heard some noise. So my husband looked out the window, um, and there's a car pulled up outside an old man's house. Mm -hmm. And then there was somebody shouting, and then he went back to his car, and then he went back to the door, kicked it. So I'm a little worried. A response team was sent from West Mercia Police, which consisted of Police Constable Benjamin Monk and his colleague, Mary Ellen Betley-Smith, who was much younger than him and had only been in the force for a short time.
0: So these two police officers set out and then arrived at the house in Telford. And then what happened?
1: They arrived at the house and they started making overtures to Atkinson, trying to talk to him. And I suppose they were trying to bring some kind of calm to the situation Atkinson smashed a pane in the front window of his father's door and he walked out again in front of the house. He was calling himself the Messiah. Benjamin Monk said he appeared very threatening. Monk said he was terrified for his life. It's important to note that Atkinson did not have a weapon and he never touched the officers. He did not make any physical threats against them but he did say some fairly disturbing things that people were going to remember him and people should be worried about him. Benjamin Monk had been taser trade for several years. He'd used it four times previously in his career, as in he'd brought it out. He'd only ever shot at someone once. He deployed the taser at Atkinson the first time and it didn't work. That's not unheard of. He deployed it again for a second time. It did not work again. It's important to note that the prosecution found that these two deployments of the taser were perfectly lawful, that the threat was significant enough to warrant it. And in order to bring an end to the situation, it was considered perfectly okay to use the taser. It's the third use of the taser that really was contentious.
0: Fiona, for those who don't know what's supposed to happen when you use a taser, what is it in effect Uh, and what effect does it have on the person against whom it's fired?
1: A common word for a taser is a stun gun. An officer, when they deploy a taser, they pull it out of their holster, they point the taser and a red light shines on the person that they're deploying it against. Most taser deployments don't go any further than the red light. Most suspects or individuals stand down at that point. Obviously, they can take it further if they wish. When they pull the trigger of the taser, two wires with probes on the ends of them are released, and as long as they strike the target, they become embedded in the person's body, and each trigger pull results in a five-second burst of electricity. So the result of that is that somebody is incapacitated for a period of time in which you can potentially detain them and handcuff them. What officers have the ability to do is hold down the trigger for longer. That results in a continuous flow of electricity. And that's what Benjamin Monk did for the third deployment of his taser. But when he fired it the third time it did work, Dalian Atkinson fell into the road. PC Monk continued to hold the trigger The taser was deployed for 33 seconds. Again, the Crown found that because the first two deployments had not worked, his decision to fire the taser a third time was legitimate. When they were talking to the jury about this issue, they made no complaint about that. But what he did do that was considered to be unlawful was he fired the taser for six times longer than standard. So instead of that five seconds, he used it for 33 seconds. And that with what happened next, was really the crux of the case.
0: And what did happen next?
1: Dalian Atkinson was incapacitated by that taser. He was lying on the floor and Benjamin Monk kicked him twice in the head. The force of that kick, which Monk described as a 4 out of 10, was such that the boot laces were imprinted on Dalian Atkinson's forehead. So I think the listener can probably make their own conclusions about the force of that kick.
0: Why would you need to kick somebody who you've just successfully tasered?
1: Well, that was at the heart of the case. Monk claimed that he was in such fear of his life and that the taser deployment had not fully worked and that Atkinson was on his way back up and that the kicks were needed to fully incapacitate him and allow them the ability to detain Atkinson. The problem for Benjamin Monk was that there was eyewitness testimony to the opposite that suggested that Atkinson was completely unconscious on the floor. And Monk had initially claimed that he kicked him in the shoulder. Um, pulled
0: my right foot back. This is Monk speaking during his police interview. Kicked him in the
1: in the area which I believe to be shoulder area, um, with one kick, okay. and I and there would be uh, the placement of the foot would have been for want of a description on the laces, uh, like a football boot, if you can imagine. Where did that make contact? I don't know. There was substantial witness evidence, but also the forensic evidence that he'd been kicked in the head. And there is a huge difference there.
0: Now, at what point did Daly Atkinson actually die?
1: So Daley and Atkinson went into cardiac arrest about half an hour later on his way to the hospital. There's issues there as well. I mean, obviously the focus has been on the kicks to the head, rightly so, and, and the fact that he was tasered for so long. But he was completely restrained by officers who arrived at the scene and, of course, had been guided by what Monk had said about the threat he posed. And he was also restrained while he was being treated in the ambulance because the police were still saying that he posed some kind of a threat. Charities such as Inquest, who do a lot of work about people who die in custody, have really questioned that approach and why on earth this man was kept in restraint for so long. Tonight, Benjamin Monk will begin the first night of his sentence behind bars. He is the first white officer to be convicted of the manslaughter of a black man in the line of duty.
0: So when the case, the Daily Atkinson case, came to court and the jury reached a verdict... It was a really important one for various reasons, wasn't it?
1: It was a really important case because it raises really serious issues about police use of force and the use of taser in particular and also an assault of this kind by a police officer but it was also really important because these kinds of cases don't ordinarily result in the verdict that we saw so according to the charity inquest there's been 10 other cases since 1990 in which murder or manslaughter charges have been brought against police officers who were on duty at the time of the death in question and all of them have resulted in trial collapse or acquittal so in that sense this manslaughter verdict and of course the jury had the option of a murder verdict and they went not guilty on murder. But this manslaughter verdict is a really important landmark decision.
0: It's the first such decision in 30 years.
1: That's right. In fact, more than. The last successful manslaughter prosecution was in 1986, and that was a sergeant in Merseyside who was convicted when a man died in his custody who had been badly beaten. So you have to go a long way back before you find a conviction like this.
0: Now, did the conviction happen because the case was so overwhelming or partially because the jury were more inclined to believe that the police were capable of brutality than perhaps they would have been in the past?
1: I think the kicks in the head made Benjamin Monk's position very difficult. Obviously, I wasn't in the jury room and we don't have a system where the jury explain their verdicts. But From the questions that came back while they were deliberating, they were very much talking about where the threshold goes over into unlawful force and how they could make their decision based on that. And the prosecution had certainly argued that the use of taser was unlawful, but... For him to have kicked him twice in the head with such ferocity, I think, must have surely clinched it for that jury.
0: What did the defence try to argue by way of uh, mitigation?
1: The defence was very clear that he was in complete fear for his life, that he felt very sad later on to discover that Atkinson had died but that in that moment he was utterly terrified and he did what he did to try and protect himself, his colleagues and the general public, as in the neighbours who were there, of course. Betley Smith, who is going to face a retrial on the assault charge, which will not happen for some time.
0: Now, there was something odd, wasn't there, about the relationship between the two police officers?
1: Yes, and this was a really crucial part of the prosecution case as well. It turned out that Monk and Betley Smith had been in a relationship, and they'd been in a relationship for several months. It was never pointed out exactly when that had started. And the reason it was a key point of the prosecution was the Crown were arguing that Monk had been left to feel scared by Atkinson, had needed to protect Mary Ellen Betley Smith, and that he had acted more aggressively in that situation than he would have in others now he told the court that that wasn't the case that he would have done the same for any female or male colleague but it was certainly something I'm sure the jury would have considered and thought about and um, perhaps form part of their thinking
0: Coming up, how the use of tasers, central to the Atkinson case, is changing the way police interact with the public.
1: Hi, I'm Emily Dugan, social affairs correspondent at The Sunday Times. It's you, listeners and subscribers, who enable me to investigate. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
0: A significant factor in Darlene Atkinson's death was the use of the taser. Let's talk about that a bit now. How long have the police in the UK been using tasers?
1: Police in London surround a man armed with a knife. When pepper spray doesn't subdue him, a taser is fired. (laughs) Scenes like this have been becoming more familiar in the UK since police began using the weapon in 2003 initially in very small numbers. They were supplied as a pilot program to a few forces, and when that was successful, they had wider rollout. But initially, it was only to firearms officers. The idea was that taser gave them a non-lethal option of force. So if they were confronted with someone who was dangerous, they could use a taser instead of a weapon, and the suspect would have much more chance of getting out of that situation alive. Over the past 20 years, there's been a really, really big increase in the number of tasers used in England, Wales and Scotland. They're increasingly used on the front line. We're by no means in a situation that every front line officer is trained to use tasers. And certainly some officers, when you speak to them, say they don't want to have that weapon. Some of them feel that it's a bit of a barrier between them and the public. However, they would like to know that someone in their response team has that ability should the occasion arise. But we do have situations now in some forces and and Northamptonshire, where Nick Adderley is the chief constable, springs immediately to, to mind, where he has said that every frontline officer who wishes to have a taser can have one. And they're in the process of doing that. Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, has been incredibly supportive of the use of taser. She's offered a £10 million fund uh, a couple of years ago to help forces buy more. So it's something that we're seeing more and more of. Now about one in five officers in England and Wales are trained to use the weapon. An attacker seemingly waves his knife in the air, having just stabbed a man. Drop it! I always remember the situation at Leighton Stone in East London several years ago now. Police taser him several times. Eventually the man falls to the floor. where a terrorist who had severe mental health problems, he attacked commuters, and he was brought down by a taser. And I always thought, well, if that had happened in the US, that suspect would have been immediately shot dead. Now, the issue there was those officers who did a brilliant job in disarming him and bringing the situation to a close very quickly with their tasers, they didn't have the options of firearms. They were local response officers who would never have carried a firearm in this country, and that's true to this day. But over the past year, there have been some scenarios that are very different to that and they have raised concerns that perhaps tasers are being used too quickly by some officers in some situations.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you next, really. If the original idea was, part of the idea was, that it would mean that you didn't have to use lethal force in situations where you might otherwise do it then there also becomes the problem that you might actually lower the threshold gradually by which you decide to use tasers. So they go well beyond anything that you might have previously used a firearm for, and they begin to go into the territory that you might previously, let's say, have used a baton for.
1: Yes, and you get to exactly the nub of the problem there that is something that is being examined by uh, various bodies, including the Independent Office of Police Conduct, who are carrying out a a quite wide-ranging taser review at the moment. And there's a couple of cases for me that spring to mind. The first is early last year. There was a father who was driving erratically down the road in Manchester. He pulled into a petrol station and he was with his young son in the car. He was confronted by a couple of officers at the petrol station... It later transpired that the suspect was drunk, had used drugs, and he was going down the road at something like 70 miles per hour in a 30 mile per hour zone. There is absolutely no question that man needed to be detained. And in fact, he gave press interviews later on where he said he completely agreed he needed to be detained. And of course, there are serious questions for him on what on earth he was doing on that night. However, that case went viral on social media and caused some concerns because Within a couple of minutes of the police intervening and talking to him, he was tasered in front of his young child. It's a really very distressing video where you can see the child crying and screaming daddy. And his daddy is being incapacitated by a stun gun. And I spoke to some quite senior officers at that time who were pretty aghast at that. And what one senior former police officer said to me is, we are losing the ability to de-escalate situations without resorting to force. And some officers will lift up that taser before trying to talk someone down, which was something that they were more adept at in the past.
0: As far as we can tell, what do ordinary police officers think of
1: being able to use tasers. Support is definitely increasing amongst rank-and-file police officers for taser. I think that's part of a wider concern within policing, rightly so, about assaults and other violence against police officers, which are at all-time highs. I think some of them feel massively under siege at times by the public. They're frustrated when they go to arrest people and they're attacked and the public film them instead of taking action and perhaps pitching in and helping them. Incidents where officers have been assaulted have gone viral. So I think there's a bit of a mentality there that the public's not always with them and then they need TASER to be safe. Of course, the critics will say, well, TASER's been around since 2003. The number of TASERs deployed in England and Wales are increasing and assaults are at an all-time high. So is TASER necessarily the solution to these problems? I mean, my personal view is that there's certainly a balance for these things, but that officers absolutely need weapons to keep themselves and the public safe but that de-escalation and talking to people and being able to talk a situation down and reduce tension in a situation is extraordinarily important and one of the big factors in policing at the moment one of the things that takes up more time really of response officers than anything else is mental health and people struggling with mental health issues and It's highly unlikely in a lot of those situations that a taser is going to do anything but escalate that tension.
0: While having access to a taser might help police officers in extreme cases, just how well-trained they are when it comes to dealing with people who are having significant mental health problems is just as important, maybe more important.
1: This is an issue that has resonated for years and years and years in policing. I mean, I remember being in um, Sir Tom Windsor's office years ago. He's um, Her Majesty's Chief Inspector of Constabulary, and he pointed to a chart on his wall which showed the amount of work police were doing, and I think the general public would be shocked. It was nearly two-thirds was dealing with people with mental health issues. Night after night, day after day, weekend after weekend, and weekends are particularly bad because other services drop away, police are Being sent out to deal with people who have serious, real embedded problems. And whatever they're doing on that given night, whether it's, you know, a petty crime or they're engaged in some kind of violence, the root cause of that is often far, far deeper than what the police will see. And police chiefs have been calling for years for a lot of help in this regard. They want mental health and social services and health services to be able to do more. They need to be able to divert people much quicker. and that we need to intervene much quicker before these mental health problems get worse. And that is something that is an enduring narrative that no one seems to have gotten a grip of. Please do not receive specialist training and mental health patients, nor would we expect them to. They're not in the health service. And it is a really troubling aspect of this case and many other cases that I've covered.
0: According to the Home Office, the use of stun guns by police has increased fivefold over the last decade, with 32,000 instances of a Taser being drawn, though by no means always fired. The figure suggests it has become something of a go-to for many officers, and you can understand why. But not every law-abiding person is reassured to see an officer carrying a Taser.
1: We talk a lot about policing by consent in this country, and it is something that seems to be very important to both the police and the public. And that gulf potentially is increased when you see the police resorting to weapons more and more. It will make some members of the public feel safer, but there's a sizable number, and potentially, I would say, the black community in London, who are considerably more likely to have a taser drawn against them than other members of the community, and that's true in other areas of the country as well. Perhaps that widens that gulf between them and the police.
0: Let me ask you what police officers have made of the conviction in the Davie and Atkinson case. Do, Do we know how they are feeling about it?
1: A lot of shock and anger, actually, within the police service about that case. They looked at what Benjamin Monk did with repulsion because he kicked a man twice in the head. And that kind of violence is totally unacceptable. And I'm not sure that there would be that many people who would argue against that. By the same token, because the kicks to the head occurred, it's been quite easy also for some people in the police service to dismiss this as a taser case. What would have happened had he only tasered him for 33 seconds? Would there have been charges? I I think there would have been. Would there have been the same result? We'll never know. But because he committed those kicks, that hasn't really entered into debate and there's been a bit of debate about taser but perhaps not the level of scrutiny that I was actually expecting and I'm not sure that it will have much impact at all in terms of taser rollout and the way police use taser. The Independent Office of Police Conduct Review is due later in the summer and I think that will be really interesting. I've heard some things about that, that they are going to raise concern about disproportionality in use of this weapon. They're also going to raise concerns about the safety of taser in terms in terms of when it's used against black and ethnic minorities and the mentally ill in terms of the senior police officers i'm not sure a lot of them are really engaging with that at the moment and they're very focused some of them on rolling it out and not addressing those issues
0: now tasers are one issue but the other big thing of course were all those other people who for one reason or another had relatives who have died in custody are they looking at this case and making anything of it
1: Well, it's been described as a watershed moment because it's that moment that we realise that a jury will convict a police officer for doing the wrong thing in the line of duty. So it has implications for future death in custody cases, I believe. It will galvanise the authorities to bring charges in future. A successful prosecution doesn't hurt at all in that regard. For people with historic cases, and like you say, there have been a lot of them and there have been a lot of issues where people have died in custody and there's been disciplinary proceedings brought that have been dropped because they've they've run out of time because of poor investigation by the watchdog that has meant that the cases have had to be dropped for various technical issues it won't have any impact on them because of course you can't rerun those cases
0: finally of course there was a huge reaction in america and to a certain extent over here after the death of george floyd did you feel that the trial was in any way influenced by those events, or do you think actually it didn't play into them at all?
1: I mean, there's a lot of comparisons made about policing in this country to the United States. And whilst, I mean, I relish the opportunity to hold police forces to account here, that's my job, but I'm not always sure that. It's a correct comparison and I think there is a huge gulf between how police treat communities here and how they do in America where we've seen such a huge number of fatal police shootings. However, the public consciousness must surely have been elevated in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy and people are more concerned about disproportionality You're eight times more likely to be stopped and searched in England and Wales if you come from a black or ethnic minority community. And that is something that must have been on the jury's mind when they were deliberating. But in the court case itself, they really did keep to the issues on that night and they didn't go any wider. Daly and Atkinson's family, of course, did raise the issue of George Floyd after the verdicts.
0: The death of any person at the hands of the police is a tragedy... But for the black community, recent events in the US and the lived experience of many people make this case particularly raw.
1: They raised a very important point, which was that Dalian Atkinson was killed in 2016, and it took until 2021 to get a conviction, which is an extraordinarily long time for a family to wait for justice. The past five years has been an incredible ordeal for Dalian's family. We knew years ago about the terrible injuries inflicted by PC Monk on Dalian, but we have been unable to talk about them due to the criminal process. And that does say something about our system and how the cogs turn extremely slowly indeed.
0: Dalian Atkinson died on August the 15th, 2016, aged 48. Former PC Benjamin Monk was found guilty of manslaughter and jailed for eight years. His colleague Mary Ellen Betley-Smith faces a retrial after a jury failed to reach a verdict on the charge of actual bodily harm. She denies assaulting Atkinson. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Times Crime and Security Editor, Fiona Hamilton. You can read more of Fiona's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Volkan Kizeltug. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, we're really keen on those, or thoughts on what you've just heard, Send us an email to times at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.